0: Thank you, Brandon and Danielle and band, and uh, we want to welcome you to week two of a brand new series at our church that uh, we've entitled Love, Sex, and Marriage, and all month long we're talking about marriage and uh, what the Bible says a great, great marriage should look like, and we're focused this month on having a great marriage at our church. Not a good marriage, not a decent marriage, not an uh, okay marriage, but a great marriage. And uh, if you weren't here last week, what we talked about, you know, those of us who are uh, who are married, man, are a long way from uh A long way from where we came that wedding day. And we stood at the aisle and we professed our never-ending love for each other. Uh, And then life started. And man, things got interesting in a hurry. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back on our website and to watch last week's message so uh, so you can hear it and study it and be aware of what biblical marriage looks like. But we're going to study today. I'm going to ask our ushers first and foremost to go ahead and pass out our Bibles. We're going to be in our Bible study today. If you don't have a Bible and you're brand new, we pass out Bibles every Sunday in the last... Four or five months, we've given away well over 200. If you don't have one today, if you forgot one, if you need one, just wave at our ushers, they'll give it to you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, keep this. This is yours. If you do and you just forgot it, you can throw it on the table when you leave, and we'll hand it out again next week. And our ushers are passing out notes in pens so that you can take notes. Uh, and today's going to be a, a real special day in the life of our church and in the life of this series. Uh, and I want to tell you just a little bit of my story before I, uh, I invite our speaker Onto the stage today, because I have a very special friend of mine uh, who's, who's coming to deliver the message for us today. You know, how many of you got married really young, like me? Tw- tw- let's say 23 or younger, got married 23 or younger. Uh, I got married when I was in college. I was 21. Uh, my wife was 19. And, and uh, when we got married, I, I, uh, I still did a lot of things that college kids uh, do. Uh, and if you're like me, you probably did a lot of things in college that, that weren't right to do spiritually. You don't continue to do them when you're married or an adult. Uh, but I did those. And uh, one of the things that, that I did in pornography, that, it, that I did in college, that it seemed like everyone in my dorm uh, was doing in college, was looking at pornography. It it was something that was available in every dorm room. Uh, it was something that was available on every computer, and it, it was something uh, that really I did without thinking about much. It was just, it was what was going on in the culture of a college men's dorm. And then I got married. Uh, and, and as I was married, I uh, every now and then would continue to do that. Uh, and I had been married two weeks when I got an email from a friend with a link to some pornographic site. Uh, and I was in Danielle and I's brand new apartment and I was surfing this site and I had to leave so I shut it down and left to go do something. And I didn't totally, totally turn off the computer and shut it down. And I came home, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I remember exactly where Danielle was sitting on the couch um, when I came home. And she said, hey, I, I saw what you were doing uh, on the computer. Um, and she said, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not going to leave you, uh, but I may kill you in your sleep tonight. Um, no, she didn't, she didn't say that, but it was like so serious in here. I had to, <laughs> to do something to lighten the mood uh, a little bit. Think about how nervous I am. I'm the one saying it. You're all just listening to me talk about it. Um, And I I remember thinking, I was 21 years old, I'd been married two weeks, and I remember looking at my wife, who I had broken trust with, Um, and I remember thinking, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be married. I don't know how to be a Christian husband. Uh, And I I remember, I mean, as clear as day, the thought going through my mind, oh my gosh, I've only been married two weeks, and my wife is going to leave me. Like, I don't even know that you call that a divorce. I think it's an annulment. I mean, you, you don't have to be official. Uh, and I remember that I went to a man that I really respected in my life. And, and Daniel said, Christian, you, you know, this is not acceptable in our marriage. Um, and you need, to, you need to talk to someone and, and figure out how to make sure this isn't an issue. And I found a man who had been a strength coach. I, at the time, I was playing football at Liberty University. Uh, and a man that, who was a strength coach who, who I met my, my first day on campus my freshman year. Uh, he was going for a personal record bench press. I don't know if you remember this, Barry, but you bench press 600 pounds in front of the whole team. I mean, he's a big, strong man. And I remember thinking, wow, this is like the strongest guy I've ever seen in my life. But he was a man of God. And by the time I had gotten married and was a senior in college, he was a youth pastor at the church. Uh, and I remember going to him. I didn't know him well, but I said, hey, will you go to breakfast with me? And we went to breakfast together. Uh, and, I, you know, I just kind of hem-hauled around because I was embarrassed. And he, and he kind of, like after an hour, he said, what do you need? Um, and I told him what had happened, and I said, "I need help because i don 't know how to be a good Christian husband um, and I, I I just I need someone to show me how and what Barry did is every Thursday for the next more than a year, he met with me at Hardee's uh, from six to about eight, and for two hours he taught me how to be a man of God, he taught me how to be a husband he taught me one day how to be a good dad he he didn 't just say hey i 'll help you you know, make sure you're not looking at pornography. He said, I will teach you to love God in a way where that stuff doesn't even bother you anymore. And he, he trained me to be, to be the spiritual man I am today. He is the architect of who I am spiritually, more so than anyone else in my life. He got me when I didn't know anything and helped me learn how to love God. And as we're going through this series and I knew I wanted to speak to men about what men need to be spiritually, I thought, you know, I'm not as cut out to give this message as Barry is. Now, Barry has a son who's 15 years old. Uh, he's 6'1", weighs 250 pounds at 15 and starts on his defensive line, bench is almost 300 pounds. I mean, just a, these are, I don't know what's in the DNA, but, man, he's big and strong, whatever wherever it is you come from. Um, but, uh, you know, if you ask his son, his son's 15. And I remember ever since his son was, I've known Josh since, I guess he was four or five. Uh, if at five years old, and if you called his, son, if you if you got his son's cell phone number today and you called up and said, "Hey, Josh," or they call him JD now, if you said, "What's your dad's goal for you?" I remember asking Josh that at six. "What's your dad's goal for you?" He would say, "To be a man of God." His dad has been whispering in his son's ears since he could remember. The only thing I want for you in life is for you to be a man of God. It's my goal for our church, for the men in our church, to be men of God that their wives respect and love, that their kids look up to, that the community knows. They're not perfect but they love God. Uh, and as we study marriage, men, I, I want you to pay attention. Ladies, I want you to pay attention. Those of you who are not married yet, this is even better for you because single women, you're going to know after today what you're looking for. Single guys, you're going to know what you need to be. Um, and those of you who are in struggling marriages, guys, I promise you, you get this part of it figured out, everything in marriage will get better. So help me welcome one of my best friends to the stage, Pastor Barry Rice. He's a uh, church planner in Orlando, and he's coming to hang out with us today. And uh, Barry, man, I'm glad you're here.
1: Love you, brother. I tell you what, if I wasn't a pastor in Orlando, Florida, and uh, if I wasn't planning a church, I'd tell you exactly where I'd be. I'd be right here, and I'd have my kids underneath him and Danielle's leadership. Give your pastor a big hand. I love this guy. He is an incredible man of God. I hope you understand this. Take a second and look around. I hope you understand that you're in the midst of... A mighty work of God. That God is doing something special here. And if you're not a part of the team, if you're not on board, you need to get on board quick because God is blowing this thing up. Uh, Christian and Danielle, I have known them since they have gotten married. And I tell you, I don't know of a more anointed couple than these two. And I'm going to tell you, I've always thought that God was going to do something big in their life, and I believe now is the time. And since so many of you have been wondering who in the world is this good-looking girl over here to my left, it's my wife, and uh, would you stand up, would you give my wife a big hand, please? And uh, yes, she's pregnant, we're due with our fifth child, um, Father's Day, uh, my Kimmy is going to be born on Father's Day, Christina, can you help me with that? Uh, excited to have, uh, my fifth child. It'll be our fourth girl. And, uh, some of you right now, uh, are thinking you have a 17 year old daughter. Kayla, would you stand up? This is my 17 year old daughter that was playing the guitar this morning. And I am so proud of her. She was my first born. And I'm going to tell you what God used her. I, I was in the midst of being this, this strength coach and God used her in my life so much. Uh, to change me. My favorite picture in all the world, my favorite picture is her standing up in her playpen with a bottle hanging out of her mouth and me blow drying her hair. That is my favorite picture in all the world. It is an incredible picture. And uh, it's, it is, it is uh, my daughter there. And and so good to have her with us today. You may be wondering, dude, you're probably 43. Uh, Your your wife looks a lot younger, but y'all are having a baby. Don't you know what's happening? How that happens, and all that? You have five kids. Uh, yes, I understand that, but I'm very passionate about my wife, and uh, I'm not going to say I'm sorry. And, uh, and Christian, I was kind of wondering why you didn't have me come to share the message next week. Next week, the the message is under the covers, so you don't want to miss that 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 uh, sermon by Pastor Christian. But you know, I was so humbled. When Christian called me and told me what he wanted me to speak on. See, if you know my background, uh, my background is sports. Uh, if you go further than that, I'm a farm boy. I grew up on a 500-acre farm, and my family raised cattle. They raised horses, pigs, everything that we ate I knew. Had an intimate relationship with. <laughs> and, uh, but when I was coming up, I couldn't go to town and I hear a story about my dad. My dad was a legend, uh, incredible athlete, golden gloves, boxing champ. He was an incredible baseball player. He was a, a legend in football, played semi-pro football. And uh, everywhere I went, somebody had a story about my dad. And uh, my dad, after playing professional football, went to uh, be to the military, and there he had a nervous breakdown. My dad had a nervous breakdown, and Basically, they kept him on some medication for a very long time, and it fried him. As I was coming up in my teenage years, my father could relate to me socially about a third grade level. So when, when I wanted to go fishing, and I wanted to go hunting, and I wanted to build something, my dad couldn't do that with me. But mind you, every time I'd go somewhere, I'd hear the story about my dad, and, and really to everybody else, he was normal, just kind of a, a goofy country man, you know? Uh, to spend time with my dad my dad had to have the structure of a day. He had to go to work at the same time. He had to eat at the same times He had a he had to, had order in his life his clothes had to be in the same place if all that was together He functioned pretty pretty well, but he would come home at five o'clock take a shower He would eat at five thirty, and after he ate every day in his life. He would go out and drink He wouldn't get drunk. He just liked beer and to spend time with my dad, I either had to be playing sports or I had to go out and drink with him. And I remember uh, so many times sitting at the bar stool with my dad. I remember so many times just riding in the car for him and my uncle to drink. And, and when I got of age, he, he would share his alcohol with me. But as I came up, I really had this hole in my life that I really struggled with. Especially when I got married. Because I had to live up to this this father's legend. I wanted to live up to my name. I'm a Rice. My name is Barry Rice. I'm a son of Maynard Rice. And I had to live up to this name. But nobody ever taught me how. And I really struggled with what is a real man. And so in my teenage years, you know, my dad was a drinker, so I became a big drinker. I was a big football player, so people respected me because of football and weightlifting and all that I did there. And what, what does, what does society tell you about men? I mean, the picture that, that TV, movies, and society paints of, of a man, it's the, the cowboy on the Marlboro billboard. Or it's the alcohol guy that that is tough and is able to handle his liquor and how do they sell everything to men they sell everything to men through sex so to be a real man i felt like i had to be really good with the women and be able to you know have a different girl every night and and really have the player mentality with the women be tough as a working man uh, be that smoker swiss of sweets and be that beer drinker and then with my vocabulary, I thought I had to curse and, and, and be this rough guy. And you know, I, I believed a lie. Because really, none of those things is what makes up a real man. You know, we believe that if we have the truck... We believe that if we have the boat, we believe if we have the four-wheel and the big home and the vacation house, and we're climbing up the corporate ladder or we own our own business, and we've we got a good bank account, we got a good-looking woman, and, and we have all these things going for us, that we are a real man. See, we have a crisis in America that men don't know what a real man is, and our men aren't training our boys how to become real men. See, the problem with America is that we lack leadership. I feel like we as a nation that we're struggling to find people to run for presidency because we don't have leadership. See, what I did in my life, and I want to warn you, man, don't do this. I overcompensated. See, if you got to know me being a coach, I'm an extremist. And when, when God trusted me with this beautiful woman and I got my wife and, I, and and we were married, I was a dictator. And I lorded over her. And, and I remember so many times in partying and so many times in my living, I, I, I just scream out to God, God, what do you want me to be? Because I was so confused. And today you may be sitting here and you may be asking yourself the question, have I believed a lie? Am I confused about a real man of God? Because that is what a real man is. See, Christian told you about my son. I prayed for my son by name for eight years before I met him. God gave me the name Joshua Daniel Rice and, and now we call him JD because he's too cool for school, you know. And, uh, but I prayed by name for, for eight years before I met my son. And when we got the sonogram and, and we found out that it was a boy with Caleb, we didn't find out. She's my oldest. We didn't find out, so she was such an incredible surprise, and, and I did. I went and got her a, a squishy football uh, when she was in the hospital. I went to Walmart, and I got a, a, a teddy bear football, and I put it in the crib with her. And, uh, but when, when we found out that we were having a boy, I would call him by name, and I would speak to her belly button. Men, did you know that your wife's belly button is a microphone to your baby when she is pregnant? But I would speak to her belly button and then I would talk to my kids and I would tell them, Joshua, you are a man of God. And that is my goal for you. You are a man of God. And all throughout my son's years, like Christian told you, uh, I would speak over him. My goal for you is that you would be a man of God. And my daughter, I want you to ask her, what's your daddy's goal for you? She would say, be a woman of God. And uh, Kayla, my daughter, and my son was at this concert one time. They were at Winterfest at Liberty University, and and I came a couple days late, and and I came to one of the last concerts, and my son was sitting beside me. and We were jumping really high and and singing and and enjoying the concert, and he said, Dad, i got to go to the bathroom. I said, Dude, they're coming up really soon. Don't you want to be here? My son left, and, and he took back his necklace that he bought earlier, that day. And he traded it in on this ring right here. And my son came down the stairs in this big auditorium and said, Dad, I got you something. And he handed me this ring, and on this ring it says, Man of God. I tell you it means a lot to me. And it has this verse, First Timothy six, eleven. And I want to read that to you this morning. If you have your bibles turned there, at 1 Timothy 6:11 it says this, "But you, everybody else say the next three words, but you man of God, flee from all this." What is all this? That is talking about in verse 10, it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs." So it's talking about men that are just and women that are just caught up in the American dream and wanting to build a pile and build their own kingdom. It says, but you, men of God, flee from that. And pursue these things, righteousness, godliness, faith love, endurance, and gentleness. I don't know about you, but when was the last time that you heard that that was the qualities of a man of God, that that was the qualities of a real man? See, what we need in our society and what we need in our lives, we need a picture, we need an example of what a real man looks like. Because we as men, we're visual, aren't we? That's why we're attracted to so many things on TV. That's why we're attracted to to things that we see. We're visual. And we need a real live example. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul writes, Follow my example As I follow the example of Jesus Christ, Christian, as a quarterback at Liberty University, an incredible football player, he needed to see an example. And that's what Paul is saying here. You follow my example, and and as I follow the example, and who is the example? It's Jesus. Fill in the blank. Jesus is God's perfect example of a real man. And when you get in God's Word, that's what you see come to life. You see what God expects out of us, and you see embodied the real man. See, Jesus is the real deal. He is the real man. And we need a picture, and that picture is in the Word of God. See, what a real man is, is someone that's head over heels in love with Jesus and is committed to following Jesus in everything that they do. That I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what, and I'm going to do what He wants me to do. See, that is a real man. In in John chapter 13, Jesus has just the last few moments with His disciples. And He talks about, I've set you an example. His life has been an example for the disciples. And then he comes together and he has his last supper with the disciples. And notice what he does. Notice what he does in verse 12 of John 13. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on the clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher, Lord, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. So bring in the buckets, bring in the towels, let's get some scrub brushes, let's get some chainsaws for some of you men's feet, you know what I'm saying? See, Jesus wasn't telling us that we need to bring out the buckets, we need to wash each other's feet. It's a principle behind it. And he says these words right here. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let me tell you the scenario of this passage. Uh, Jesus sent the disciples to find a meeting room and they found the upper room. and He said, "I want to have a meal with my disciples to celebrate the Passover. And they traveled on a journey down the road and, and guess what's on the road, okay They didn't have vehicles during that day. they didn't have pathfinders and, and the Ford F250s they didn't have all that. They had camels, they had mules, they had donkeys, they had cattle. And all that stuff was on the road, and they wore sandals. So you know how their feet were. They were nasty and dirty and and full of muck. And as they were climbing up the stairs and they were going into this room, there was something odd. There was a basin of water. There were some towels and, and everything that you needed to wash your feet. But one thing was missing, and that was the servant. See, the lowest of lows of the servants would be the one that would wash your feet, that would bend down. There was no lower servant. They, they were, if you did that job, you were the lowest on the totem pole. And as each one of them walked in and they saw that there was no one there to wash their feet, they just kept walking in. None of them felt the responsibility to stop and, and wash the other's feet. And, and really, none of them were willing to stoop that low. And in the middle of the meal, Jesus gets up and he takes off his his garment. And he goes around and he washes. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who who spun the universe into place, he got down on his knees and he washed camel poo off of the disciples' feet. He was willing to humble himself. That's the whole key. It's not that we need to physically wash each other's feet, but that we need to spiritually wash each other's feet. And men of God, in this room, you need to spiritually wash the feet of your wife. You need to spiritually wash the feet of your children. And you need to wash the feet of the people in this community because God is setting you up for something great. If Jesus, our Lord and King, is willing to wash feet, then what should we be willing to do? For his kingdom. He said, I set you an example, and you'll be blessed if you do it. See, the world's picture of leadership is a triangle, isn't it? That the leader is the one sitting at the top, bossing everybody around, and making the big decisions, pulling the trigger, making the big sales, and he's the one at the tip of the triangle. But in God's economy, that triangle gets reversed. Instead of everybody serving the person at the top of the triangle in God's economy, Jesus makes himself at the bottom of a triangle, and he is serving everyone else. He is lifting everyone else up, and he is sacrificing himself for the betterment of everybody else. See, number two today, what I wanted to share with you, and the second blank I want you to fill in is that Jesus challenges us as men to be loving servants. Would you fill in that blank? That's his challenge to us today. And that is the greatest leader of all. Because it's Jesus' style of leadership. Jesus' style of leadership is not to lord over each other. It's not to be served by each other. To have everybody serve you. It's to serve one another. Now we get to the teaching Of Ephesians 5. This teaching is the teaching of how a man should be in his marital relationship with his wife. And I want you to be very intent in how you hear and study the scripture. And I challenge each one of you as a couple today, in the very near future, to sit down and look at this passage together. But specifically today, I'm talking to the heart of the man. In Ephesians 5, it says this in verse 21. And and I start with verse 21 because this is what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, your, your position in the family as husband and wife is a position of submission for the glory of Jesus. And you need to submit to one another. When you're both submitting to each other and you're both submitting to Christ and you both have Jesus as a center of your relationship, then this is possible. It is possible for the wives to submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. See, it is an act of worship. Whenever you do something unto the Lord, that's an act of worship. And it's telling us today to submit to our own husbands as to the Lord. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife. So, who has the leadership responsibility in the home? It is the man, it is not the woman. Biblically, it is set up that the man is the leader of the home. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. And notice the illustration that Paul is bringing here. He's using an illustration of the relationship of Jesus Christ and the church. The church is not a building, it's the people. See, here's the steeple, open the doors, and here's the people. It's the people, you know what I'm saying? My hands are too big, I can't even put them together like that, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, he's using an illustration that as Jesus serves The church, that's the way men are to serve their wives and the way the wives should submit to their husband. And it says, of which he is the Savior, that places the man in the leadership spot, the one who has the responsibility. See, men, listen to me this morning. You will give an account as the men, as the head of your home, You are responsible for the spiritual temperature of your home, not your wife, not your children. It is your responsibility. It is not the woman's job to say, we're getting up and we're going to church tomorrow. It is the man's job. It is the man's job at the table to be the head and say, let's bless our food and give thanks to God for it. It's the man's job to teach the children to love Jesus. Ephesians 5, verse 24, it says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, now that was three verses. Now the next six verses is really to men. It says, Husbands, love your wives. How? How am I supposed, as a man of God, how am I supposed to love my wife? Here it is. Just as Christ loved the church And gave himself for her. See, our love is demonstrated in a biblical way to our wives by the way that we sacrifice and, and, and the way that we lay ourselves down to serve our wife and kids. They're not there to serve us. They're not there when we come home from a hard day work and we want to put our feet up on the sofa and we want to grab the remote and we want to say, baby, bring me that sweet tea. But y'all don't drink sweet tea here, do you? A little bit, okay. Drink sweet tea and bring me my meal and let me just vegetate. No, your real job starts when you come home. That's when your real job starts. Because Jesus says that we love our, our wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for you. See, I want all the women to know here, you're almost 99% this is true. Your husband wouldn't have any problem whatsoever laying down his life for you. And if you are a son or a daughter, which all of you are, 99%, 99%, your, your father would have absolutely no problem laying down his life for you. But are you willing to sacrifice your life and live for them? And live building them up and live serving them? So how is he supposed to serve and, and to sacrifice in verse 26 to make her Holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. All that tells me is that the way I'm supposed to leave my wife is I'm supposed to build her up. I'm supposed to take care of her. I'm supposed to love her. And, and her, her disposition and the way that she feels about herself is my responsibility. Her self-image and her security in herself is my job. So I'm telling her, baby, you look good. And I'm telling you that today, baby. You look real good today. And I really like your new boots. I, I have to say it. You look so good in those new, But anyway, I get captivated there. And we, we are to be the men. That doesn't mean that she's the only one that washes dishes. That doesn't mean that she's the only one that does the laundry. That doesn't mean we are a team and we do it together. And I know my wife is listening to this sermon. Verse 28. In this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. We need to grow up as men, and we need to take the responsibility of leading and protecting and providing for our wives and our family and our kids in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says this, husband, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. See, we're to take care of our, our family, that they need us. And we're to be there to provide protection, to provide for them financially. And we're there to not only provide financially, but provide for our family emotionally and in every way. Because Ephesians 6.4 says this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That word exasperate means to choke out. That we're not to choke our kids, but we're to love them and encourage them and build them up. So men, you are the provider of your family. You are the protector of the family. You are the one who builds up your children and your wife. You are the lead of your family to, to the Christ and to the church. And God wants you to stand up in your community. In your church as well, and be the man there. Let me address, ladies, for just a second. Today needs to be a new day, ladies, in the way that you speak to your husbands, because it really matters. And this word submit and this word respecting and this word honoring your husband means that you need to speak to your husband as if he is a man of God, God wants you to demonstrate the faith over top of your husband in the way that you speak to him. you need to start demonstrating and communicating that you believe in your man as the spiritual leader. You need to start calling him your man of God. You need to start in faith speaking that over him and speaking great things over your husband you got to realize today that He would lay down His life if you would respect Him and honor Him and believe in Him and stop telling Him all the things that He's not doing right. So today, the call to you as wives and as women is to believe in your husbands and, and wait on Him and let Him be the leader and build Him up as the leader. See, if I was sitting in your place today, men, I would feel so overwhelmed right now. And I would feel like, man, there's no way I can measure up. There's no way I I, I can be this. Number three, if you would, fill in the blank. It is impossible to be a man of God on your own strength. Fill in that word, impossible. That is true. And that's exactly what John 15, 5 says. When John writes that Jesus said these words, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me give you quickly the illustration. You see the speaker right here? The speaker has to be plugged into something or it does nothing. There has to be a source. There has to be a power. If it's not plugged up into the power source, it's not going to do anything. It has to have input. And and what Jesus is saying, that the input is Him. When you plug into Him and you read the Word and you pray and you go to church and you spend time with God, He builds you up and you flow out. He flows out of you and and that's called Fruit. The fruit of the believer and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is when you plug into Jesus and he flows through you and out of you. And what he does, I'll catch this, he produces character in your life that is godliness and righteousness and character traits of him. And what we need to do as men of God, when we feel like we're overwhelmed and there's no way I can make it through the day and be the man that God's called me to do, all I have to do is plug into the source of power. And allow God and yield control of this life to Him. And allow Him to flow His life through you. When you feel overwhelmed and I can't do this, you must plug into the power source. Because you know what? There's only been one person that's ever lived the Christian life perfectly. And that is Jesus. And that's exactly what He wants to do for your life today. Yield and let Him do it let go of the reins, hand over the keys, and say, Jesus, take control of my life and lead me so that I can be the man and the woman that you want me to do, be. Oh, one of my favorite verses I want to leave you with is found in Matthew 11. In verse 28-30, through 30, Jesus says these words, Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Men, look at me. What Jesus wants wants you to do he's inviting you to do this this morning he's going he's saying lock arms with me and in the burden of life let it be my load let me walk beside you would you walk with me would you allow me to talk with you would you allow me to pour into you as a man will you allow me to be that person beside you that pulls the load that you can't pull you may be here as a man, and you never had a father pour into you. You you may have not had the relationship with your dad. You, there may be people sitting here this morning that your dad or mom or someone close to you said you are not going to amount to nothing. That is a lie. There may have been someone, maybe a spouse that left you and said to you, you're not a man. You are. You are a man of God. Because God says so. Let me ask you here today. Have you taken the first step? I believe I came all the way from Orlando, Florida. I believe I came all that way for this moment right now. I believe, and I have, I have felt this in my spirit ever since, Christian, you've asked me this. I believe that there's men here today and women here today that need to stop playing games with God. Stop doing weekend Christianity. Stop just, just checking the box every week that, well, I went to church and, and, and I did something for God. You need to make God your life today. And the first step on that journey is receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about getting a ticket so that you can go to heaven. I'm not talking about a Disney bracelet so that you can ride the rides. I'm talking about a real life relationship that you are created for that only through this relationship with God can you have fulfillment, significance, and be who you're called to be. See, there's... There's some things that you've got to understand that there was a plan for your life before the beginning of time and God created you uniquely for that plan and the biggest part of that plan is that you would have a relationship with Him. Yeah, you. God created you to know Him personally and intimately in a unique way only you can do. But here's the problem. I'm going to tell you about the problem. That's the plan. Here's the problem. The problem is that you've done your own thing. That you've had your own agenda and your life has been about your kingdom instead of his kingdom. And, and when we live and say to our master that I'm going to live this way, not his way, the Bible calls that sin. And sin offends a holy God. And sin separates us from a holy God. And the Bible says for all have sin and falls short of the glory of God. So that's the problem. Can I tell you about the power? Somebody say power. See, the power over the problem to get to the plan is that Jesus laid down his life so that you could live, so that you could have a personal relationship with God, and he paid the penalty of your sin. Jesus absorbed the penalty for your sin on the cross. He was nailed to this cross. He was beaten and bruised and spat upon and cursed so that our sins could be forgiven. Our sins. You're the one. I'm the one that nailed it to the cross. And it's only through Jesus and only through what He did and accomplished on the cross can we have a relationship with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. This church can't get you there. Your parents can't get you there. Being a good person can't get you there. There's only one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ. See, lastly is the present. I told you about the plan, the problem, and the power. Can I give you the present? In, in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life through Christ Jesus my Lord. I've been praying for you. And some of you would call yourself a Christian because you're a good person you call yourself a Christian because you're born in America. you call yourself a Christian because you go to church. But can I tell you, that doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is having Jesus inside of you. And if you don't have Jesus inside of you, it is impossible to live the Christian life. And so what will you do? I, I am drawing a line in the sand, men. Will you man up today? Will you stop playing games? Will you make that step? Will you meet Jesus with that step? And will you open up your heart to Him? Would you invite Him in? All over this place, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? Would you ask that question? If you're here today, and you don't know for sure and for certain whether or not you, you are a Christian, but you want to be, you want to be different, you want a relationship with God, today, the Bible says, it's the day of salvation. Why not today? Why would you wait another day to open the gift, the present? If you're here and you're sincere and you're serious and you're ready to make a commitment to God Not out loud But from your heart to God's heart, would you just simply pray this prayer? Would you just simply say god I need help And I realize today you're the one that can you're the only one that can help me So god I come today I'm bidding that I am a sinner and I have offended you and I'm sorry. And I realize today that only through what Jesus did and believing in him and that he rose from the grave and that he is alive, only through what Jesus accomplished can I be your child and get forgiveness. And so Jesus, because I believe in you, Right now, I surrender my life to you, and I invite you into my life to be my Lord and be my Savior. I surrender right now. Make me what you want me to be. Help me to be a man of God. Help me to be a woman of God. Right now. Your eyes closed and your heads bowed. Christian, would you come out of here? If you pray that prayer and you meant business with the Holy God and you invited Jesus in your life for the very first time, or maybe, maybe again, and you really meant it this time. With no one looking around but me and Christian, would you just slip up your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. That was me. All over this room, raise them up high. Raise them up high. Men, thank you. All over this place. Anyone else? Yes. Anyone else? Father God, I just thank you for how you worked in this place today. And God, I pray over these men and over these women that in the name of Jesus they will step up to their place that you have called them to be, to be men of God and women of God. May you bless every
0: home in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone right now, Pastor Barry, first